<laughs> Thank you. I should have slicked my hair this way today. <laughs> Sorry, I want to be serious. It's, a, it's with fear and trembling you come on a Sunday to speak about the Holy Spirit. It's not a light topic. But I was going to just to say I'm so thankful. Tomorrow is an anniversary for Kim and I, so I celebrate my wife and uh, thankful for her. And uh, it's a blessing that uh, we can celebrate that together. If you take anything out of today, the most important thing I hope you'll take, regardless of all the terms that we use uh, as people study through Scripture, and many people use different terminology, but the bottom line is, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can't just have a one-time experience. It can't just be something that happens and then it's done with. It actually needs to be a daily. And actually, if we go to Galatians 5, if we're going to produce fruit, it's a yielding to. It's a continual walking in. The, the spirit of God and he'll lead us and as he guides us we surrender to him and so I want to make a few points like that because there's so many different things going on and one of the things on a day like this is we need to be thankful for the Holy Spirit amen, amen. and I want you to turn to someone I know this may sound weird but it kind of gets you thinking about him as a person turn to someone and say I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit, I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. yeah I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit because the reality is that we can do nothing without him. There's a book uh, John Bevere has out. It's a 2013 book, and uh, it's called The Holy Spirit in Introduction. And on page four of his book, uh, this is kind of some quotes and paraphrases, but he talks about that without the Holy Spirit's active presence in our midst, our Christianity becomes dry, monotonous, and mundane. The church will either morph into a social club or become a religious institution. There'll be no vision, no joy, no peace, and no freedom. How many want to walk in freedom and joy and, and actually have a, a living faith on a regular basis? Raise up your hand. And if you're at home, I'm not sure the cameras, maybe it's that one. Uh, I definitely do. That's my heart's desire. And I better look at the clock or I won't know what time it is today. And we'll be here all day. I told Kim, <laughs> sorry, I'm just joking. But I told Kim, you know, remember the story where Paul's teaching and he uh, falls out the window. And I said that was kind of what I was going to go for today. But anyway, I was joking. <laughs> Last week when Pastor Dallas shared, he shared something that, that uh, you might find interesting. But he talks about as we grow in maturity, we have to learn to check assumptions and clarify expectations. How many remember that? And so I want to apply that somewhat to the Holy Spirit, his person and his work because often we think of the Holy Spirit based on our background or experience. So whatever group we went to, that's the lens we put on. When I went to Bible school, you know, there's a certain lens they put on. They look at everything through a certain lens. And it's hard for them to see outside of what that lens shows. You go into another place and they look at a whole different lens and all of a sudden they're seeing things that the other group can't even see in the same passages. And so the reality is we need to recognize, for instance, I just want to go through some of this. There's some believers within the body of Christ that are known as cessationists, and they would believe that certain miraculous sign gifts of the Holy Spirit are no longer in operation today. Anyone ever heard that? Yeah, that's one group. Um, some evangelicals would actually argue that everyone, when they come to Christ, are baptized with the Holy Spirit at the time of conversion. They would look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, that says this, Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. It's pretty clear that as followers of Christ, we are actually baptized, right, as members of one body. Amen. Others will see the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's depicted in Acts chapter 2 as a second blessing that takes place after an individual is saved. 
And Pentecostals would go so far as to say that the initial physical evidence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. How many have heard some of these different things? Yeah, I just want to throw some of these things on so that we, we're going to have a mix in this room. It's a non-denominational church, and so I want you to know that where you are, you need to land it in Scripture, right? And all of these individuals have landed it based on their study of Scripture. I know that early on in my early Christian walk, I thought this was just fun to think through. I had certain expectations. That, sorry, this is heavy, this mic. I'm not used to this. That, uh, of what the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit would be in my life. And I was just thinking of some of these. There was a time in my life when I wanted to be slain in the Holy Spirit. Anyone remember those, that experience? Yeah, I remember I was praying fervently that I'd be knocked over. Um, you know, I just so much wanted a fresh touch from the Lord. I think one time I fasted and I was a new believer relatively. And I was in a bedroom and I was sort of on the bed just crying out. And I wanted to fall back and nothing happened. And then I remember another time I was at a church service and we were kind of at the front of the altar and there was a newer believer there and he had come out of addiction and he was just really being touched by the Lord. And I remember I was just up there crying out, Lord, just touch me, touch me. And the frustrating thing was he'd fall down and then he'd get up. And I think there was one or two times where he touched my shoulder and he fall down and nothing is happening to me. How many know that I was frustrated <laughs> and my expectations weren't met? I didn't fall. I assumed the Holy Spirit would respond in a certain way to my prayer. He probably knew enough, I know he knew enough, I shouldn't say he probably did, that I wasn't mature enough to handle that. It would have given me a badge of honor. I also learned, or had wrongly assumed, I should say, that I used to think when I first became a newer believer that just because someone was passionate, they said all the right things in certain contexts, they would lift their hands in worship, I assumed that they were spiritually mature. Until later, I'd see them in another context, and I was like, whoa, wee, is this the same person? Now, some of you are laughing or chuckling because, you, you know, we have all been in that place, have you not? Yeah, and it's so hard, and I've probably been that person for certain people at times. But the reality is we have certain expectations. And I want to just help us to understand that we need to check our assumptions and we need to clarify our expectations. And I remember Pastor Dallas said this last week. He said uh, that you should not just believe what you think, but believe what is actually real. And so I'm going to take that to the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to say this. That when it comes to the Holy Spirit and how he works, we need to ensure what? That anything and everything that we believe is based on a correct interpretation of Scripture and not just based on our individual or denominational preferences and prejudices. Amen? I got so caught up this week. It's been a long time since I've really looked at the Holy Spirit, studied certain things on it. Uh, you know, you take some things for granted. And thanks for asking me to do this, Pastor Dallas, because all of a sudden, <laughs> I just got on a tangent. I was reading different books, reading the scriptures, and I started realizing, wow, I need you. I need you. It's so easy to get on cruise control, think you have it figured out, kind of get used to doing certain things, rely on certain giftings, and the reality is it's going to add up to nothing without his empowerment. There was a quote I was going to share. I'm going to skip that because I don't need to share it. But the title of today's message, I can't see the slide, so I'm not sure where we're at. Uh, can you see them? You... No. If someone maybe want to pop it up. But uh, the, the, the slide that we should, yeah, we've had some slides already. We're at, uh, but the title of today's message, yeah, you can't see it. So can anyone hear me up there? Check, check. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the title of the message is this, is that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal power. 
He's a person who glorifies Jesus and testifies of him. If you get the title, you'll get this. He convicts of sin. He assures, empowers, emboldens, and equips, reforms, and transforms, and intercedes. These are just a few of the things, but these are the ones I felt led to highlight today as we talk about some of these things. I also want to point out right at the very beginning, there's a lot more I could have shared. Humility demands, let me I say it up front, I don't have it all figured out. There's mystery involved, yes. And anyone who says there isn't, I don't know, it's very tough to not find some mystery. But I also want to make this very clear, because this I do know for sure. That the Holy Spirit, I want you to, if you're writing notes, write this down for yourself. His empowering, miracle-working, soul-saving presence and leading is desperately and definitely needed today. They're trying to shut us down in our culture. Are we prepared to stand firm in the truth of the Word of God unwaveringly, steadfastly, without any compromise, without any fear in this day and age? Amen? We'll never do it without the Holy Spirit's empowerment. Otherwise, we'll cave into fear of man. And fear of man proves to be a snare, but what? If you trust in the Lord, you shall be kept safe. And the Holy Spirit will help us to stay bold. I'm not sure if the slides are up, but we're on number four. And the thing I want you to grasp right away, and this is so imperative, is that the Holy Spirit is not a force. He is not an it. It's not a thing. It's not just an empowering influence, but he is a person. I know that, that, that I say that, but yet even sometimes when I'm worshiping and singing certain songs about the Spirit of God coming, it, it seems more like I'm asking for a power to come. At times, I have to consciously stop myself and realize, no, no, this is a person. You may not struggle with that. I personally do. Maybe because of just sometimes where I'm at in my own thinking. But I want to point out that he is, in fact, a person. He's part of the Trinity, and he's just as much a person as the Father and the Son. Amen? Amen. Why is it important that we treat him like a person? And this is why. Because cults and false teachers will often rob the Holy Spirit of his intimate personhood. You get a knock at the door, suddenly someone shows up, Jehovah Witness, JW, and how many have had that happen in the city? It's pretty common, yeah. I think we've had it more than probably once. And uh, Sorry, I want to go on a tangent. Never mind, I'm going to stay focused. They show up at your doorstep. They sound biblically astute. They might even talk about the Holy Spirit, but I want to stress that it's not a person. If you look on their website, jw.org, it says this. The Holy Spirit is God's power in action, his active force. By referring to God's Spirit as his hands, fingers, or breath, the Bible shows that the Holy Spirit is not a person. Same terminology, different meaning. And that's the same idea we talk about the lenses. We put on a certain lens, we see certain things. But we need to know the Word of God, amen? That's obviously a false teaching, and if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap of what? Teach, treating him like a source of power rather than a person. I remember years ago in California, I can't recall all the details, we were at a service, and uh, it, was an, it was an interesting service, but it was almost like the speaker, he was trying to whip the crowd up into a frenzy, it was really hard for me just to sit there, I was pretty young, still in the faith, and I had a, Kim knows my leg gets moving in these moments, like I want to jump up and I'm ready to say something, but I didn't. But all of a sudden, I'm getting like this, sort of, I'm sure, and the guy is saying, all right, how many of you have the Holy Spirit over here? And everyone, ah. All right, Holy Spirit over here. Ah, there's more Holy Spirit over here than here, and blah, blah, blah. And I can't remember if it was the same service, but maybe another service, but that same church, there was a pastor, and he would walk around. And again, I'm not trying to belittle or make light of it, but he would come to a certain spot on the stage, and he would just really avoid that spot, and he'd laugh and laugh and joke that there's more of the Holy Spirit right there. 
Again, can he show up in power in that way? Maybe. But is that treating him with the majesty and the dignity of a person who is one of the triune Godhead? No. He deserves awe and wonder because he is God. Amen? He's not a source of joking. R.A. Torrey on page 8 of his book called The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit, he says, If we think of the Holy Spirit, as many do, as merely a power or influence, our constant thought will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? Listen to this, if you're taking notes. But if we think of him in the biblical way as a divine person, our thought will instead be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? I love that. Because that's so interesting. How often do I look at that when I'm seeking the Lord to ask him, how much more can he have of me versus me just wanting more of him? If we focus more on him being a power rather than on intimacy of his personhood, what happens? We'll desire signs and wonders as sort of a sort of spiritual validation or a stamp of approval rather than, as the Holy Spirit actually desires, that Jesus Christ be glorified. That's the ultimate aim of the Holy Spirit's work. He will glorify the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? The Holy Spirit isn't what? A sideshow? He's not a power to be used to draw in or to entertain or to amaze a crowd. You all know this, but this is just so important. How many have seen a lot of stuff over the years? Yeah, I mean, you just see all kinds of things over the years if you're in different circles. Just like any person, I want to point, this is uh, number five, if we go to slide five. Uh, yeah, there we go. If you can see it, but basically the Holy Spirit as a person, how do we know? Because he has an intellect, he has emotions, and he has a will. The Holy Spirit, it says, he searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God, 1 Corinthians 2.10. Obviously, he's able to investigate. The Holy Spirit, uh, he obviously is, is able to, to uh, use his intellect. Romans 8.27, the Apostle Paul reveals that the Father knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Again, he has intellect. We, this is just basic stuff. He doesn't only have intellect, he has emotions. Ephesians 4.30 makes it clear that he can be grieved. How many have ever been in a situation where all of a sudden you're, you find yourself in a setting or seeing something or hearing something and you just feel so... Uh, anyone? Tears might come. You just don't... You know, something makes you almost sick. Part of it is because the Spirit of God who lives in us, he can be grieved. And it's interesting... Uh, According to the Strong's uh, on the PC Study Bible, it means he can feel heavy, sorrowful, and sad. And not only does he have intellect and emotions, he has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 makes it clear that he distributes spiritual gifts to each one individually as he wills. Have you ever not liked the spiritual gifting you've been given? <laughs> well, <laughs> take it up ultimately with him. He's God. Don't ever look at someone else and wish you had a gifting they had. Be very thankful because God in his grace, Psalm 139, makes it clear he formed you in the womb. He has plans and purposes. He knows what he's doing. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, he knows all the plan that he has for us. And we just need to step into it by faith. Amen? I'm doing the very thing I used to before I got saved. Would have thought, oh, I could never be up here doing something like this. I would have ran. Who wants to be a preacher? Oh, uh, sorry. No. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, Another example, if you're taking notes, Acts chapter six, uh, 16, verse 6, you see that Paul, he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Again, you see an example of will. So he's a person, intellect, emotions, and will. I'm going just through some basic things here, but I want us to understand that he's infinitely loving and tender towards us, and ultimately he cares about our growth in godliness. Amen? Amen. 
If we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in us. You'll see that in Romans 8, 9, 11, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. We don't ever have to feel alone or overwhelmed. He's with us at all times through any and everything. How many think that's great? Yes. Absolutely. In his great love for us, he will help us grow in godliness at all times. That's important to know because the enemy tries to lie to us and convince us we're never going to overcome. And I'll show you soon. We actually are overcomers. Amen? Through the Holy Spirit. As we seek to understand who the Holy Spirit is, the other thing I want, if you go to the next slide, slide six, it's very, very important that everything we know is based on scripture, not personal preference or prejudice. And another thing I want to say is let's never diminish the importance of the person of the Holy Spirit's ministry and empowerment in our lives. I put some scripture verses up there. Feel free if you want to take a picture of the slides if, you, if it helps you. But we should never diminish it. How do I know this? Because when Jesus was preparing his disciples for his upcoming departure, after his death and his resurrection, and ultimately uh, his ascension that's coming, Jesus stressed to his disciple what? The importance of the fact the Holy Spirit would come. John chapter 16, verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Why? Because he can dwell, indwell every believer at the same time. Amen. This is great news. It boggles my mind, but it's incredible. That's why when you're, let's, uh, this is a side note, it's not here, I didn't even think of it until right now, but God is good. When you're with another believer, remember the Spirit of God is in them, and remember this, don't partake in things that would grieve him. Gossip, slander, backbiting, encourage one another, speak psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to one another, build one another up, don't talk about other people behind their back. Don't talk about other believers. Because why? The Spirit of God, He lives in them. Amen? Amen? Treat them like they are actually a vessel of the Holy Spirit. Another reason that we should never diminish the importance of the person of the Holy Spirit's work and empowerment in our lives, and this is so, uh, this boggles my mind. But after um, His ascension, Jesus' own disciples couldn't actually minister effectively until they were clothed with power from on high. Like this really struck me as I was going back looking at this. Prior to his ascension, which Acts 1-3 makes clear was 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus commissioned his disciples in Luke chapter 24, verse 47 with these words, that repentance and the remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So they're to go and tell people about him. Amen? So he's telling them, though, if you go a little here a bit further, this is what's interesting. It's interesting, and the disciples weren't supposed to go out immediately, but... Uh, they were, this is what he tells them, Luke chapter 24, sorry, 24, 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, he says. He's referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Huh. You're supposed to go out and tell these things, but don't do it yet. Okay, hey, I'm not there yet. I, I was thinking some stuff afterwards, and I'll get there. But start think, connecting the dots. Then Luke says this in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them. Now, uh, Luke is giving more in Acts 1, a little more color to what Jesus is saying. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you shall, verse 8, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Amen? Amen. 
Wow, they heard that. Now in obedience, they wait in Jerusalem, just like Jesus had told them after he ascended. Verse 15 of chapter 1 reveals that there were about 120 people who had assembled together in the upper room. They were then still gathered together on the day of Pentecost. They may have possibly been in a part of the temple at this point to accommodate kind of the crowd that's about to take place. And then what happens? They suddenly receive the promised baptism with the Holy Spirit. A bit of background here. The word Pentecost means 50th. And it was part of the annual Jewish festivals. It was 50 days after Passover. And it was also called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the Harvest. And this is where the Jewish people would present the first fruits of the annual wheat harvest. So this is kind of significant. There's three festivals that individuals would come to. The Passover and the Unleavened Bread, Pentecost and Tabernacles. But what's interesting, the weather during, God's so good, the weather during Pentecost just happens to be quite great during that time of year. Okay, and in fact, one commentator, what does he say here? I looked it up. He says, all right, where did it? Yeah, Pentecost had the advantage. This is from Peter Wagner's uh, Acts of the Apostles. Boy, I'm not sure what the title here is, but uh, he says that the weather period in the Eastern Mediterranean region may have been, uh, sorry, it was the most ideal weather period in the Eastern Mediterranean region. It's also interesting. They would say that about 25 to 30,000 people would be normally in Jerusalem at this time, but because of how many would throng to this particular place, they're estimating that there could have been upwards of 100 to 200,000 people. Does God know what he's doing? Yes. Hello, hello. Oh, there we go. Sorry. I don't know what I did. Anyway, so let's look at Acts 2, verses 1 to 5 with this in mind. Because here's what goes on. It says, verse, I will go to the next slide. Yeah, there it is. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in place. In one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. Fire here can be a symbol of the powerful presence of God. And what? One sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Some of you are bracing yourself thinking, oh great, is this sermon going to only be about tongues now? No, you can relax, all right? We're going to not make that the whole focus. The result was incredible. Here's what happened. A multitude of devout Jews rushed out, and they want to see what's going on. They were amazed, and they marveled, and they said to one another, it's they said, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And in their mind, you've got to remember, again, God and his creativity, Galileans weren't looked at that highly. Their dialect made them look a little bit backwards in the society. And it says, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And we'll jump down to verse 11b and then going into 12. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? What were they supposed to be doing, the disciples? What did he commission them to do? Preach the gospel, right? Now all of a sudden they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you have all this crowd that speaks many languages, and I skipped all the different Ian names, there's lots of them in there, but he, they were able to understand them now, proclaiming about Jesus Christ in their own language. How many think that's incredible? Some mocked, of course, some accused the disciples of being drunk, you'll see that in Acts 2.13, but now Peter stands up and he boldly delivers a very powerful sermon, anointed sermon, made it clear that Jesus is in fact the Savior, he challenges the crowd, verse 38, he says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And how many know how many were saved that day? Verse 41 makes it clear. What? 3,000 individuals committed their life to Jesus Christ. How many would like to see that? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, amen. <laughs> Both hands. Yeah. It's awesome. But we need to consider an important question. I was connecting some dots here because I want you to think of the disciples in their own context. They had been with Jesus for what, about three years? They've lived with him, seen him do miracles, seen him do incredible, you know, just amazing, mind-blowing things. And then on top of that, they've seen what? And experienced his resurrection, been eyewitnesses to that. And then what? They also had seen, or ultimately, they, right before he commissioned them, they're seeing he's going to go up and he's going to go to heaven, right? So they see him and they're going to see and experience his ascension. But here's what makes me think. If they needed to wait and tarry for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit before rushing headlong into ministry service, how can I be so presumptuous to think that I can just run and go do whatever I want whenever I want and not take the time to make sure I'm ready? It was convicting for me when I really thought of that. Again, don't get hung up on terminology. I'm using the word empowerment here somewhat intentionally because we need his empowering presence. Amen? Someone shout amen because we do. What does the baptism in the Holy Spirit entail? In a commentary by A.G. Fernando, this is the NIV application commentary. He says this on page 55 and 56. He says it implies a full experience of the Spirit, which among other things empowers us for witness. Whatever one may call it and however one may enter into it, what is important is for all, for all Christians to experience what the baptism with the Spirit implies, the fullness of God's Spirit and power in witness. There is something that takes place when we rely on the Spirit of God and we're in situations where we're confronted with a situation that looks overwhelming and we rely on him, not ourselves, and we boldly open up our mouths and we talk about Jesus Christ. We all know that, right? And you see that, wow, all of a sudden this is switch gears. This is not just, a, it's not about just uh, my own courage here. This is because he is stepping in. Why? Because he testifies and glorifies Jesus Christ. Testifies about and glorifies Jesus Christ. Amen? I want you to turn to someone beside you at this point and say, you need the fullness of God's spirit and power in witness. I'll look at you, Kim. You need the power of God's spirit, sorry, and power in witness. Fullness of God's spirit. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't even say my own quote. <laughs> we'll go to the next slide here. I'll go pretty quick here. We need the spirit. So because he's a person, I'm going to introduce some things about him, and I'm going to introduce him as a person here as I go. But if I were to introduce him, I might say this. I want to introduce you. Please allow me to introduce you to the one who glorifies Jesus and testifies of him. One of the roles of the Spirit of God is to bring glory to and testify about the Son. This helps us. Why? Because we're not alone when we're out there sharing about Jesus Christ. Amen? He's fully engaged. Why? Because that's what he does. When I used to teach students evangelism, I mean, some of them thought they had to be the best of whatever, and actually God can just use a willing person. You don't have to be the most knowledgeable. You don't have to be the boldest necessarily. You don't even have to have it all together or be a great speaker. You just have to be willing. And you open your mouth up, and you say Jesus Christ, and you, you, just, you might stumble along, especially as you're getting started, but because the Spirit of God works through that, He starts empowering you and using you, and you start seeing things you don't expect. What? You know, someone repents that you would, what, this guy just let happen? Why? Because it's supernatural. It's not natural. The Holy Spirit, He's subordinate to the Father and to the Son. We know that. John 14, 26 makes it clear that He was sent by the Father and in the name of the Son, ultimately. It says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance things that I said to you. 
John 16, 13 makes it clear that the Holy Spirit does not speak on his own, but what he hears. It says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. In verse 16 of that same passage, it makes it clear his role is to glorify Jesus. It says this, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Verse 14. It's amazing. I want to say this, and I'm saying this, we're not in this situation, but if you ever are, and you ever find yourself somewhere, if you're ever a part of a study group, even some of you might go to groups outside of this church, but if you're ever a part of something, and the overarching em emphasis is just on, say, power, signs, and wonders, and not on the finished work of the cross, and on the person of Jesus Christ, run. Run. Just get out of there. Don't have to come and ask if it's healthy, you just run. The shed blood of Jesus Christ what he did on the cross, the finished work, that is what is our focus. It is what the Spirit of God focuses on. And he moves in the midst in great signs and wonders and might at times. Why? To, to bring focus to that. Not just so he can show up and do parlor tricks. And I say that like with a heart that's sometimes broken because there's so much going on right now around the world. And it draws a crowd. But at the end of the day, the question we have to ask, are people becoming more like Jesus Christ? Servant-hearted. Willing to, to just serve others. Another thing that we see is that John 15, 26, the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus Christ. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from my Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. We'll go to the next slide. So not only does he glorify uh, Jesus and testify of Jesus, another thing that I would introduce you is that he convicts of sin. Amen? John 16, 8 makes clear he is the one who convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Why is that important? Because it takes pressure off us when we're what? Sharing about the forgiveness of sins that's found through faith alone in Jesus Christ. He's at work in that place. Uh, he's not, we're not responsible for convincing a person, amen? We boldly and unashamedly proclaim the truth, but it's his role to bring repentance. It's amazing. The next slide we'll go to, the next thing I would share, and this is so important for some of us in this room, we need to hear this today. Not only does it convict of sin, but because he's tender, he's loving, I want to say I would introduce you to the person who what? Provides followers of Jesus Christ with the unwavering assurance that we are the Father's beloved children. It's so important. You know, we live in a culture in a day when families are breaking down, there's dysfunction. How many can relate to have ever been disappointed, hurt, or whatever in a family situation? It's not always easy. Um, I remember one time when I was working on my doctoral studies, I remember sharing in a setting and asking in a mission setting, uh, what did I say? I think I just basically asked them how many of them um, either didn't know their dad or had abandoned by their dad at some point, and I had people raise their hand, and everyone in the room, I believe, if I remember correctly, including myself and my assistant, my partner, my friend, we all had our hands up. It was a very small group. But it's, that's the day and age we live in. It's not a put down, you know, my own father had left my mom when I was 17. But here's the incredible thing. Imagine how it was amazing when at age 21, in the bathroom of my house, I came to know forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ and came to know the love of a heavenly father that up till that point I'd never really known. 
And that's available for anyone. Amen? And the Holy Spirit, he's the one who wants to draw us to that place. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, he's trying to highlight the way of sanctification. And he's trying to help give the assurance of eternal life in the Spirit. That's kind of the context. Um, and he helps put the biblical meaning to the love of the Father here. Uh, the next slide says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I could unpack that further. There's so much packed in that, but I'm going to go to my next slide, if you don't mind, because I want to kind of highlight some of these important points. I just want us to all understand, it's good. We have a Father who never leaves us or forsakes us, amen? And we have a Holy Spirit who lives in us and is with us through thick and thin. And he will never leave us nor forsake us, amen? The next thing I would introduce, and this one is a mouthful, but it's so good. Catch this. If I could introduce you to the one who empowers, emboldens, and equips believers. This one don't miss. You know, if this is all you get, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I already shared. When the Spirit comes upon us, what? We'll be witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're going to be bold witnesses. After Peter shared his anointed message, what we saw that 3,000 souls were added. Next week, uh, Pastor David Wells is going to share more on the corporate church body at large and how it was affected by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Is that correct? Yeah, okay. Let's make sure I worded that right. But one thing I want to note, if you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 4, The number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. That's from the New Living Translation. Acts chapter 6, it records that after seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, you see that in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, they were chosen to help with their practical affairs so what? The apostles could give themselves to some very important things, continually in prayer and the ministry of the word. Amen? They didn't want to be distracted from that. Verse 4 of chapter 6. What happened? The word of God then spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. That's verse 7 of chapter 6. Why do I share that? Because there's a lot going on. It seems very clear the Holy Spirit empowers for witness. That's just a very small sampling. Spirit-empowered believers are soul winners, and spirit-empowered churches that are made up of spirit-empowered believers, don't miss this, okay? They regularly experience conversion growth. Amen? Amen. All of us are placed by God in a certain sphere, and we have neighbors, and many of them have never heard about Jesus Christ. There's some of my own neighbors have never heard about Jesus Christ. And when I pray, and I kind of remember each one by name in that little area, I'm often convicted to think, Lord, how do I, what do I do? How do I do this? What am I supposed to do? Because, wow, if I'm not reaching, I'm just saying this not to keep condemnation, but I often think if I haven't been able to reach just all of those, how in the world am I going to reach if you send me to a country that's got huge uh, persecution and there's millions? I need the Spirit of God, amen? We all do. So the next point I want to make, he empowers us for witness, but he also empowers us, and I love this too, for the miraculous when it's needed. The apostles, we all know they were used miraculously, but I want to point out more of Philip. How many know who Philip was? He was one of those guys that was actually chosen, who was full of the spirit and wisdom, to help serve the tables, to do the practical things, because the apostles were going to devote themselves to what? Prayer and the word. Now we find that... Uh, it's interesting, even though he was chosen to give attention to these matters, 
we said, Acts chapter 6, verse 3, is full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And after Stephen was martyred, it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Now Philip finds himself in Samaria, Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Not only did he boldly proclaim the gospel, but he also experienced the miraculous. And it caused multitudes to give heed to what he was saying. You see that in Acts 8, 6. And this is what it says in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 8. I love this. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. We want great joy in our city, do we not? We need to move in the power of the Spirit of God. Will we always see these things? I don't know. We hope to, don't we? We want people set free. We want sick healed. We, it's not our role. We can't do it on our own. We cannot do it, but he can. The next thing I want us to get is he empowers, obviously, empowers for both witness and the miraculous, but he also, and this is so important, he emboldens us. He, he emboldens followers of Jesus Christ. He gives us courage. This is so important. I don't want us to miss this because all through the book of Acts and through the lives of different individuals, Peter, John, Stephen, Philip, Paul, we could go on, they are full of boldness. But I want to highlight Peter very quickly. I already shared about Acts 2 where he stood up and he proclaimed boldly. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are used by God to bring healing to a man who was unable to walk since birth. I'm just going real quick through a little snippet real quick. Again, he's unashamed of Jesus, and Peter told him to what? Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, chapter 3, verse 6 of Acts. The man ended up being miraculously healed. The crowd gathered. Peter again witnessed fearlessly for Jesus Christ so much that he and John were arrested. But despite their arrest, many surrendered their lives to Christ. And as Acts 4, 4 said, which we looked at just a minute ago, what? Many surrendered their lives. It says the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. That's supernatural boldness. What gets even more amazing, remember, Peter had originally denied Jesus Christ in the high priest's courtyard after he had been arrested, but now he goes on after his arrest to boldly, what, stand before him and others, and he tells them about Jesus Christ. He says in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There was a time not that long before that he had denied knowing this very Jesus Christ. This is amazing. This is emboldening, amen? And then... It's, uh, that's Acts 4.12. Then him and, John's, his, him and John, they, they caused the individuals to marvel because they realized that they had been with Jesus, verse 13 of chapter 4. They tried to stop them from teaching and speaking about Jesus, chapter 4, verse 18. Again, Peter wasn't rattled. There was no denying Christ this time. I love this. Him and John stated, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot step stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Acts 4, 19 and 20. How many think that's awesome? And I could go on and on, but I want to say this because this is what I want to get to. This is so important, and I want you to not miss this. And this is a question I want you to consider. How many would agree that the Holy Spirit-empowered boldness that we see here is especially needed in our cultural climate? I was thinking about it. There's no doubt we're in these last days where the enemy is working extra hard to silence us as followers of Jesus Christ. He's trying to make it illegal to boldly confront certain sins. He's wanting to make it more difficult for an uncompromised Christian truth to be, what, unashamedly proclaimed on the internet, right? He's trying to do these things. If he had his way, he'd try to cause our fear of man to eclipse our fear of God, so what? So we would tiptoe across all the controversial issues? But I'll tell you what, tiptoe can easily become a stomp-stomp. 
When what? We stand firm, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, Ephesians 6, when we put on the full armor of God. And we have what? The shield of faith with which we can distinguish all the fiery darts of the enemy, and we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word. We need to be strong, amen? It's time to rise up in the power of the spirit of God. The enemy is making inroads even into some evangelical churches. Some want to be considered more progressive, and they're starting to endorse certain things that used to be considered unbiblical. How many know that? There's a whole movement called progressivism. You can look it up online. I'm no expert in it, but it's, taking, it's really taking shape. This week, I looked up a speaker that was going to be sharing in a certain church. Just was interested, just saw something. They had written a book. They were interviewed by a Christian program. They served as a speaker, I think, in various Christian contexts. But as I looked up certain things, I discovered this person also teaches yoga. Yoga instructor. Again, whether you agree or disagree, do your homework on it. The issue is, again, don't base it on your own understanding, but look at what that is. But I will say this. The enemy takes great pleasure when biblical truth can be replaced with either New Age type thinking or practice. Because he knows he can get out what? The Holy Spirit's empowerment. We don't ever substitute real power for false power. Amen? We want the real deal. So that's so important for us. We need to boldly proclaim the truth. We're just about done. He'll empower and embolden. He'll equip us. This is the next one. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where he, he gives out spiritual gifts. And as I already shared, verse 11 of chapter 12, it is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. God's so awesome, isn't he? And we're just about finished, but I want to get you to this is where it's so important. How many, don't raise your hands, I'll look whichever camera's on. Some of us struggle at times with sin, amen? Strongholds, things we're having a hard time shaking, things that we have a hard, the next point, if we go to the next slide, I want you to understand, introduce you to the one who reforms and transforms. The Holy Spirit is a person, and that's good news. He has intellect, emotions, and will. He sees everything, he knows all. But this is where it's sobering as well. It's not only awesome, it's sobering because he knows our thoughts. He knows what we look at. He knows what we listen to. He knows what we say. He knows all we do. And remember, he's holy. Hmm. I wish I could hide in my room with all my lights off, but he's there. I can't escape him. It's tough. But here's the good thing. He can't stand to be in the presence of darkness, wickedness, or God-dishonoring things. And in his love, he will help move us towards godliness and he will transform us into Christ-likeness as we yield to him. He will literally sniff out and find, we've used that expression here, some sniffing it out. He'll get right in there, get to those darkest places in that area at your heart and he'll find what needs to get dealt with. And it reminded me years ago, we had a dog that went through our backyard. A guy had run through our yard and I, I, I can't remember the story that great, but at one point he had dropped his shirt and now this dog is coming with the police sniffing all around. And why is that? Because they're looking for hidden danger in our yard. We see the shirt. Well, you know, there's no guy hanging around as far as I can tell, but they're looking for something. And that was a good example to me what I believe the Holy Spirit does. He's searching in there because he knows there's things that got to get dealt with. And it's so good. And uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25 makes it so clear that when we'll yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work in us, he empowers us, and we no longer need to gratify the lusts of the flesh. Amen? And I was, this is a, maybe not the best illustration. I was sitting on my front steps the other day just studying for some of this, and I think it was, and all of a sudden an ant's on me, and I flick him, and he goes and lands on a little web on the step. And I, you know, so I don't usually kill bugs too much, so I'm looking at him. And he's just, he's moving. He can't do anything. 
he didn't realize. Now he's ensnared. He's doing all he can. He's struggling. And then I just bend down, move the web just a little bit so his feet can touch a step, and what happens? Zoom. He's free. But it kind of reminded me of the picture of my own life or, or, or our lives. We don't see the snare of sin's folly coming and how it's going to ensnare us. We all of a sudden find ourselves flicked in that place. We didn't expect to go there, and now we're stuck. <laughs> and we're flailing around. We can't get out of it. We don't have enough strength. We don't have enough wisdom to figure it out. And what happens? If we, now, the ant didn't do this, but we would have to. If we would just in that moment yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, as Galatians 5 tells us, 16, what will happen? He, would, he can bring that deliverance that we need because we no longer will gratify the lusts of the flesh and we begin producing, what, the fruit of the Spirit. You find yourself ensnared in a lot of anger, yield it over to the Spirit of God, stop trying to fight it, and what happens? He brings conviction in that area. He's able to empower you to start having what? Joy, peace, some of the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Be sensitive to Him. And the final thing, we're just about finished, and this is thanks for your patience. It's hard. It's a one-off message. We're just about there. This is important. The last thing I would want to encourage you in is I want to introduce you to the one who intercedes on our behalf. And here's the good thing. If we go to the next slide, he actually intercedes according to God's will on our behalf. We can't lose. We can't lose. You actually turn to someone and say, you can't lose. Because we don't always know what we want to pray or how to pray, but he knows how to do it. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Uh, the next slide, I'll put it up there. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the, Holy, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to what? The will of God. And I could go on. There's different views on what those groanings are. Um, some would say they're sort of just... Uh, audible but wordless groanings. Some would not view them as tongues. Others might believe they could possibly be your private prayer language. Uh, but I'll say this. There's times in my own life where I just have a burden and don't quite know how to, make, how to pray. How many can relate? And there's times at times where I have had to pray in the Spirit and as I'm praying, sometimes all of a sudden the understanding comes and then I begin praying it out more in English. The point is I'm saying the Spirit of God knows how to pray on our behalf and He knows what to pray. So don't get caught up on, on that. He lives in us, and he will pray according to God's will. And we know any prayer according to God's will, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, it will be answered. Amen? Amen? So let's conclude, and this is it. We'll put our next slide. I want to get practical here. We learned today that the Spirit of God's a person. I, wanted, I really felt led to make that very clear. This is more of a teaching today. It's a little different with COVID, too. It's not, it's not like we can have a big altar session and have everyone. Yeah, and if the worship team wants to come up, you can, I think, yeah. And we'll get ready to close. But the Holy Spirit is a person. Some of the things we learned about him is that he glorifies Jesus, testifies him. He convicts of sin. He assures followers of Jesus uh, Christ. Sorry, he, he assures followers of Jesus Christ of the Father's love. He empowers believers for witness and for the miraculous. He emboldens believers, equips us through the distribution of the spiritual gifts he reforms and transforms. He helps us to become what more godly and Christ-like. And he intercedes according to God's will on our behalf. That's amazing. That's just some of what he does. But let's here to get practical. What do you do with all this understanding? And I guess the slide's gone, but if you want to put that slide up, if someone wants to see it. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, first of all, you need to be thankful for the Holy Spirit. Amen? And I encourage you today at some point or this week, thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit. Be thankful for the Holy Spirit. 
The second thing I want to challenge us is, is that we continually need the Holy Spirit's empowering in our life. So here's the point. In R.A. Torrey's book, page 231 of his person and work of the Holy Spirit, I like what he says. This is good. For all of us who don't know which terminology to use, because sometimes different people use different terms, <laughs> he says this. I would rather have the right experience by a wrong name than the wrong experience by the right name. He says this much is as clear as day, that we need to be filled again and again and again with the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm sometimes asked, have you received the second blessing? Yes, and the third and the fourth and the fifth and hundreds besides. And I'm looking for a new blessing today. Because it's an attitude of the heart, right? It's a, it's a humbling, it's a posturing. And I would encourage you, if you need more of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life and his empowerment, ask by faith for him to pour forth that blessing. Amen? The question to go back, I asked it earlier, and I want you to think about this week. Do you find yourself more consumed by how you can get more of the Holy Spirit or by how he might have more of you? And if he reveals anything in your life that he wants you to give up to him, give it to him. Amen? Make that commitment that you're willing to say, take it. And the last thing I want to make, and this is so important, when I share a message like this, whether you're on the camera and online or out here, if you do not yet know Jesus Christ as your Savior, some of this makes no sense, maybe. Because you're like, Holy Spirit, well, I don't know yet. I don't even know if I know Jesus. But I want you to understand that Jesus Christ, he actually came as we look at the cross. The Holy Spirit testifies of him. He died in your place because you were separated from a relationship with your Father in heaven because of sin that entered the world. And I, I can't have time to go through all the details, but here's the good news. Jesus took upon himself the punishment that you deserve for your sin, that I deserve for my sin. And Jesus, because he rose again from the dead, he defeated sin and death. Amen? He rose again from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of his Father. And as the great high priest, he's able to give, what? Forgiveness of sins to anyone that will come to him by faith alone and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I receive what you did for me. And if you haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. Amen? It's not just saying a small prayer. It's actually a yielding of your heart, of your life, to say, Lord, I receive what you did for me on my behalf. And from this day forward, you lead, you guide, you direct. I'm yours. And no matter what you want, I give it to you. Amen? You won't be perfect instantly. He'll work, and he's patient, and he works on us one thing at a time sometimes. Amen? But I encourage you, if you haven't yet given your life to Christ, do it today. Father, we thank you. We pray even right now as we enter into this worship time that you would just overwhelm us with your presence. We know that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are God. You are an awesome God. You're majestic in all your ways. You deserve all praise. And I pray that even now as you're in our midst, you would overwhelm us with your glory. That we would be a people who literally just fall on our faces in our heart that we would bow our knee to you and we'd recognize that we are man and you are God that you're worthy of all of our hearts you're worthy of all of our mind you're worthy of all of our strength and I pray that each one of us in this place today we would yield fully to you today Holy Spirit have your way in us and through us and we pray that each one of us would be empowered in mighty power today and I pray for anyone who truly needs a miraculous move of your presence, whatever that looks like, God. I ask that you'd meet all of us right now. Holy Spirit, move in our midst as we worship you at the end of this service. If someone of us needs healing, heal us, Lord. If our minds need a touch, touch our minds. 
If we have broken hearts, be the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Minister to us. Holy Spirit, be the Comforter. Minister to us. And may we be overwhelmed today in Jesus' name.